Well, today we come to this final topic of trying to live love, and uh, we spent the first two weeks, you know, talking about loving the Lord, which, uh, man, that's just great, right? I mean, I can love God. He's amazing. We can just list off all these reasons. Maybe we should love God. And then last week, we even talked about loving our neighbor and, you know, talk about compassion and mercy, that as we walk through this life, we ought to be looking for ways to show compassion and show mercy to, to those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. But today we hit this very, very difficult and challenging topic of loving our enemy. Now, I, I've never served in the army. I've never been to war. And so the idea of like facing an enemy on a battlefield is is foreign to me. And so I was trying to think like, where, where was it that I, where is it that I really feel like sometimes I have an enemy? And uh, for me, it was kind of weird what came to my mind. Uh, I used to drive a lot. I mean, I would, I, I, Drove sometimes, you know, two thousand miles a week uh, when I lived in uh, in Georgia, and believe like I don't know what it was about driving, but I get behind that car like whoever was in the other cars around me became my enemy. Like I didn't want them to pass me, I didn't want them to get ahead of me. It was like a competition every time I got on the road. Somebody would cut me off. And also, they were the most evil person in the world, right? I mean, like, I'm coming after you. I'm going to let you know what you did to me was wrong. And sometimes our enemy can be something as simple as that, right? I mean, just somebody who ticks us off gets on our nerves. But sometimes our enemy can be somebody, somebody in something very personal and very real. It can be somebody that's very involved in our lives, somebody who's very close to us, somebody who knows us better than anything, and knows how to hurt us better than anybody else. And they can stab us and wound us and challenge us and just create a difficult, almost warring environment. And, and those kind of enemies, that's no laughing matter. That's, that's a very challenging way to live. And so what I want us to do today is look at this command that we're going to find in Matthew chapter 5. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5 on your phones, iPads, whatever you got, and we're going to kind of look through this passage. Now let me give you a little context on where we're reading today, because we're going to kind of pick it up at the end of a chapter. This is chapter 5 of Matthew, is the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous talks that he, that he gives. I mean, it's quoted over and over again, and here he you know, after this, he gives us the model prayer, the Lord's prayer that we probably, many of us have heard many times and many of us could quote back and forth. But at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus basically uses, this is one of his first public speaking engagements, and he basically sets up and he redefines many of the thoughts of that day. He starts off with the Beatitudes and he redefines what it means to have a blessed life. And then he talks about salt and life light, and he talks about what it means to live as different makers, difference makers in this world. And then he helps us redefine our understanding of sin, that it's not just if you commit adultery, but if you look on someone in lust. It's not that you're just angry or you murder somebody. If you're angry at them, it's, it's, he talks about redefining that sin is much more than just an action. It's an attitude. And so he's, he's been laying all this groundwork and so you can imagine if you were sitting in this crowd and your religious understandings have literally been turned upside down, up on their heads. You spent your whole life trying to keep yourself from doing certain things. And instead, Jesus says this, stop worrying about what you are doing and stop worrying about what you're being and what you're becoming. And so that's the groundwork that he's laying here. Like he, he's, 
Here's what it means to be blessed. Here's what it means to, to be different than the world. Here's what it means to, to deal with sin and the attitude of sin in our life. And he's saying, stop worrying about just the outward stuff. And I really want you to focus on what's going on in your heart. And that's where he then lays and drops his huge bomb of loving your enemy. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43, and he says this. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I can imagine that got a lot of amens in the crowd, right? You're right, Jesus. Yeah, we can agree with that. And he doesn't stop there, unfortunately. But he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I can imagine there was maybe a literal gasp in the audience at that teaching. Because as foreign as this thought is to us today, it was even more revolutionary to the Jewish people of that day. Because they were being held captive in their own country by the Roman Empire. They were basically, when you talk about an enemy, they saw their enemy every day. They were an occupied country. And so when Jesus said, love your enemy, they're talking, you're talking about these guys who come and steal from us every day, who have taken away our land, who have done horrible things to us, who are unjust to us. You're saying for us to love them? I mean, many days we may go through our life without seeing and coming into contact what we would say is our enemy. But these Jewish people were living it every day. And he says, love them. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, there would have been people who came to the mind of these Jewish people like, this Roman guard persecutes me every day. This Roman citizen, he comes and does this to me every day. And you're telling me I should pray for him. Their enemy was before them. And their hope in the Messiah, who many thought that Jesus was, even at this early stage of his ministry, they were hoping that he would come and what? Conquer their enemy. Not love their enemy. This is not what they were expecting. And so this not only is a challenge to us, but it was an extreme challenge to those that were listening to Jesus in that day. It continues in verse 45 and says this. Do this so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and says rain on the just and the unjust. Do you see what Jesus does immediately right here? Because I can imagine what they were saying. Jesus, these people don't deserve love. Here's what they've done. And they start listing all the bad things that these people have done. And they start thinking through, why should I love somebody who treats me this way, talks to me this way, acts this way to me? Why should I love them? Why should I pray for them? And Jesus just kind of steps back. And before they can kind of even get those thoughts out, says, don't you remember that God loves the just and the unjust? Like, he's, he's given you blessings even when you didn't deserve it. There are things that, good things that are happening in your life, not because of what you've done, but because God just chose to bless you. And Jesus reminds them that every day they receive things they don't deserve, things they did not earn. Becoming a son of the Father, as they mentioned here, is embracing him as the source of these blessings, and it's not something I earned or I deserved. And I love that idea of the sun rises and sets on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets to enjoy and benefit from that day. One of the things I love about living in Long Island City is the sunsets every night here in this neighborhood. I mean, they're different, they're unique, they're beautiful. I go out and I get to enjoy them every day. I did nothing to deserve that. God didn't say, Patrick, because of the great person you are, here's a beautiful sunset just for you. Right now, 
everybody gets to enjoy that. It's God blesses people because we are his creation. So he's reminding them, look, don't think that you deserve mercy and grace and peace more so than anybody else, even your enemies. And he goes on in 46 and says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have, right? I mean, that's, that's easy. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you don't understand Jewish culture, you don't understand what he just did there. When he said, you know, if you don't do, if you do this, the, the tax collectors do this. If you just love your brother, even the Gentiles. Those two people were some of the most hated people by the Jewish people. The tax collectors were Jews who had kind of turned and traitors and were now working for the Roman government coming and collecting taxes of their own people. So when they said tax collector, even the worst of you, they can love their neighbor, they can love their brother, love those who love them. And then he said the Gentiles. And Gentiles are basically non-Jewish people. They were the Romans, they were everybody else. And he says, look, even your enemies, they can love their brothers, they can love those that love them, says, even your enemies can do what you think is enough. But you, I'm calling to something different. He, he uses this to help them understand this old, old teaching that goes back to the formation of the nation of Israel, that they were chosen and they were blessed, not because they were special people, but because God blessed them for them to what? Be a blessing to other people. When God chooses us, when God shows mercy and grace on us, he does so not for us simply to enjoy it. When God forgives me, he's modeling for me to forgive other people. When God loves me, he's helping model for me to, to love other people, to show mercy and grace to other people. Those gifts are never determined or de- demonstrated to be de- just ended on me. I don't get God's grace just for me. I'm a funnel. I, it flows me. Whatever I experience, I'm designed to express it out to other people. This is an ancient concept that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been forgiven to forgive. You've been shown grace to show grace to others. You have been given mercy to give mercy to others. You have been, God loves you as an enemy for you to go and love your enemies as well. This is the same idea that he lays out for us today. Do not love, don't, don't let his love for you separate you from others. Instead, let it drive you to love others. Don't let his forgiveness make you think you're better than other people. Instead, let it drive you to forgive others, even those that are the most difficult to love, which are enemies. So let's dive into this concept because that's, I wanted to kind of lay a little groundwork because we're going to deal with some tough questions as we dive into this. And the first question that I want us to deal with is, who are our enemies? Right? That would be the first question I have is like, who is actually our enemy? Last week we talked about like who, the first question was like, who's my neighbor? Who do I actually have to show neighborly love to? And like, I'd want to know the same thing. Like, excuse me, who are my actual neighbors? And there's a key idea that I want us to, I mean, our, uh, our enemies, there's a key idea that I want us to grab here. This idea that our enemies come through one primary word, and that word is conflict. And we have conflict with other people. And so 
We actually create enemies when conflict arises. When we have differences, when someone thinks one way and we think another, and we end up at odds with someone else over possessions, principles, our priorities. I was thinking back to my high school days and even earlier than that, I got in one fight when I was a teenager, right? And it was with a guy named uh, Tommy McGinnis. And uh, Tom, I told some of our interns a story about Tommy. He was one of these guys who would do anything if you told him. Like, I remember one day we were sitting at a lunch table and we were just joking, like, Tommy, throw your milk at that guy. And Tommy, like, literally got his milk and, like, threw it at the guy. We're like, no, Tommy, don't do that. That's, like, you should self-edit a little bit. We probably should not have asked him to do that. But I remember Tommy and I shared a locker right beside each other. Like, he was on this side, I was on that side. And one day we were friends, but one day he opened his locker. We were both, like, kind of at the bottom, and he opened his locker and knocked me over. And I was like, why did he do that? And so I pushed him back, and he pushed me back. And all of a sudden... We're in the middle of our school hallway fighting. I mean, like we're not, you know, wrestling on the ground, throwing punches at each other. And like teachers are pulling us apart. They're like, what's going on here? Why are you guys? And we're like, uh, he opened his locker up. It was like this simple thing. But all of a sudden this conflict escalated in this full war because of pride, right? Like you push me, I got to push you back. And that's what happens in conflict. Somebody does something to you. Somebody thinks something different than you. Somebody values something that you don't. And all of a sudden, you're at odds with each other. Instead of dealing with the conflict, you get pushed. You push back. And it starts this cycle of revenge. And then, you know, we respond. Revenge and respond. Somebody does something to me. I'm going to do something to them. And then what are they going to do? You do it to them. What are they going to do? They're going to do something back to you. It's just this cycle of revenge and respond. I also remember I used to, me and my brother Jay, he's three years older than me, we used to, used to get into a lot of arguments and fights, not like fist fights and stuff like this when we grew up, but we just, we'd always battle over different things, things that he wanted, that I wanted, he would ask me to do stuff I didn't want to do, and I'd ask him to do stuff, and we just constantly, a lot of times, at odds, and I remember one time he, I was going to the kitchen, and he asked me, Patrick, can you make a sandwich for me? And I was like, no, I don't want to make a sandwich for you. Like, well, you can get up and make your sandwich yourself. And I did not have a servant's attitude like I should have. But uh, so I go and I said, oh, sure, Jay. And so I make him this sandwich, but I make him a little bologna and cheese sandwich or whatever. But I soak the bottom bread in Tabasco sauce. And so when I serve it to him, he's not paying attention. He's like playing a video game and he bites into this thing and it just lights him up. And he's like, oh, my God, what are you, you know? And like there starts a fight. And so, you know, it could have ended right there, but no. What did Jay have to do? He has to get me back, right? I hate pickles. I absolutely hate pickles. The smell, the texture. I, please don't bring pickles near me. Like, it just, even the scent, I can, I can even smell it right now. It's like, ugh, I just can't stand pickles. One day, not long after I did this sandwich incident with Jay, he was heading up to the kitchen to get something. I asked if he could bring me back a drink. And he said, sure. And I should have known something was up, like when he said, yeah, I'll do that. And so he brings this cup back, and it's a dark cup. And he had poured pickle juice all inside that cup. And I was thirsty before I even thought about it. I took it, and I started to drink that. And I was, like, vomiting over in the corner. And I'm, I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, what can I do to get him back? And, like, we had this summer of, like, revenge and respond, revenge and respond. And as funny as that is, man, don't we live our lives that way? Sometimes somebody does something to me, it hurts. I'm going to respond back. I want to hurt them. I want to make them feel what? How I feel. I want them to know how much they hurt me. And when they feel that way, what do they want to do? They want to respond the exact 
same way. And so this conflict is what drives us to create enemies. And, and usually conflict is caused by one of three things. We used to sometimes have a, a conflict of culture. And this is when we have differences in how we think. So maybe there are things that you elevate that somebody else devalues. Or maybe you devalue something that someone else elevates. Maybe you have a, a high view of a certain way to approach church or a high view of a certain view of God. or a high, And those are all great things to have, but somebody else has a different view and they devalue that. And you start to have conflict with them and you start to view them as your enemy. Or maybe somebody attacks you know, somebody in your family and you want to attack back. And it's not that it's bad to value those things, but if somebody else devalues them, it's going to create conflict. So we have this conflict of culture, what, how we think, differences in what we think. We can see this politically, can't we? I mean, we're right in the middle of the season where, I mean, there's not much nice being said about either presidential candidate that's out there. I mean, somebody throws something nice about somebody out there, and then like what? It's like 10 attacks. Boom, 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 boom. Whatever side you would find yourself on, we just have a difference of culture right now. I mean, it happened this week in, in, in England, right? I mean, there was this whole vote over a difference of culture, a different way of thinking. We also have a conflict of interest, right? And this is when we have differences in what we want, what we want to see happen. And this is either when we're competing for the same thing or different things. And you can see this in business all the time. Like people are fighting for customers. People want the same goal. They're fighting for a share of this or a share of that. And they become enemies with each other. Or, you know, maybe it's like a tug of war. Somebody's wanting this to happen and somebody's wanting this to happen. And we just are back and forth, back and forth over what we want to see happen. And this happens in sports. And you can see this played out in in sports all the time. People take a side and they want to elevate one side and diminish the other side. I'm an Auburn graduate. We have some Auburn people in here. I'll say this. I I love Auburn football. One of the things I don't miss from being in Alabama is that the first question you ask somebody is whether you cheer for Auburn or Alabama football. And whichever one you choose, you're immediately a friend with or an enemy with the other person. And I'm not joking, am I, guys? I mean, it's like real, like, oh, you're an Alabama fan? You know, I'll stay clear of you. Like, I'm just, you know, you immediately have images about who they are and what they think is important and where they came from, and they have similar views about where I am and what. And so it's just we have these competing interests of who and what we want to see happen, but this is probably the one we deal with the most, and it's the conflicts of pride. This is when we have differences in how we act with one another. Someone has done something to hurt me, or I've done something to hurt somebody else. And we give people reasons, or people give us reasons for conflict and to call them our enemy. If we went around this room this morning, we could all share stories of hurts of the heart. And that's what these are, right? This is when it cuts to the core of who I am. Somebody said something or did something to me that offended me and hurt me and it tore at my very soul. Or I did something. I made a mistake where I said something or I treated somebody a certain way. Probably I did it intentionally. And in doing so, I've created conflict in an enemy. And we all deal with this. There are just and unjust examples of all of these. 
They're just examples. And here's what we end up doing. We usually end up arguing over whether you should be mad at this or not. Look, I didn't do it on purpose or I did or I'm sorry. And we end up arguing over whether it's just or unjust. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Jesus didn't say determine whether you are justly or unjustly angry at somebody or whether this person is unjustly or justly your enemy and then deal with it. He just said love your enemy, period. Whether they did it intentionally or not, whether it's just or unjust that you have a right to be angry at them and upset at them, he just said love, pray for them. And instead of arguing whether we should or not, we should learn to embrace this. Now, I want to understand and set up just a couple of thoughts here of reality. Because when we first read this, we can get caught up in this idea that if we're to love our enemies, it means that we shouldn't have enemies. There's actually, this isn't actually what Jesus says in this passage. He doesn't say don't have enemies. What does he say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't say to, to, to not have them. It, if we understand a few things about this, we have to first understand enemies are real. They're, they're out there. It doesn't say act like they aren't there. That would be foolish. There are enemies in our life. There are things that want to destroy us. People maybe that even want to destroy us and are competing against us. They're real. En- enemies are present. It, don't, it doesn't say that we won't have them. Conflict will come in your life. It's going to happen. This, this is not an avoidance of conflict. It's how do you actually deal with with the conflict, but enemies are also can be very personal. It doesn't say that they won't cause problems or that loving them will fix everything. That's not realistic. They're real, they're present, and they're personal. Enemies are part of our life. And Jesus is giving the best method of dealing with these enemies for our own good and his glory, which is why he tells us to respond this way. And so that would be my next question is, how do we actually do this? How do we love and how do we pray? Because even if I somehow decided to buy into this idea, I'm not sure how I would even do it. Like, okay, I I trust you, Jesus. Like, I'm supposed to love my enemies, but I have no clue how to do it. And so let's talk about these responses of loving and praying. Love is this very, very deep concept. But when you boil it down, it actually centers around two key ideas. Love is an internal perspective with an external expression, all right? It's an internal perspective with an external expression. And so sometimes we think love is about all I do for somebody. Like, I, I'm going to love somebody, so I'm going to do it. I don't really want to do it. I really have a bad attitude when I'm doing it. I have a bad perspective on this person, but Jesus said for me to love them, so by God, I'm going to do it. I don't like them, but I'm going to do it. That, that's not love. It's also not love just to think good things about people and just be like, this is a, you know what? I'm not going to dwell on this person. I'm not going to hate them in my mind, but I'm certainly not going to do anything that helps them. I'm not going to show anything externally. Love here is this internal perspective, this unique union between the right internal perspective and the right external expression, a genuine desire to want good for somebody and to try to make it happen as well. How do we do this? The first step is this. Remember that we are all God's creation. Even your enemy. Even your enemy was created and designed by God. Formed, shaped. God knows them by name. 
they're no less important to God than you are. Maybe they're not as connected, maybe they haven't repented, and maybe they're not reconciled to God like you are, but that does not mean that they are not valuable to God. Every person, no matter how much conflict or difference we have with them, are all image bearers of God. Genesis one twenty seven tells us this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. We're all uniquely formed. And the beginning point of resolution of conflict begins when we can find some kind of common ground, a starting point to begin with. And in any conflict with another person, there's always at least one starting point you can get back with, is that we're both creations of God. We're both image bearers of God. We may view things incredibly different, but at least we can have a common starting point. Conflict gets nasty and dirty when I start dehumanizing the other person. When I look at them as less than human, I will do things to them and I will treat them certain ways if I view them as less than human. And when we can drive back and say, no, we're all created in God's image. When we can get back to the same starting point that allows us to do this, we can see maybe where they got, how they got to their idea, and maybe they can see how we got to our idea. If we can drive back to a common point. So remember that we're all God's creation. How do you love? Remember that even your enemy is a creation of God. Second thing is this. Remember the love of Christ that was demonstrated for you. You know, in Romans 5.10, it says that we were once enemies of God. That you and I, we, we willfully rebelled against God. We walked away. We chose our own way. We elevated our own way of thinking and dismissed his laws like they were. And we came up with our own laws and what we thought was good for us. And we walked away from him. And yet, even in spite of all of that, God demonstrated his love for us. It says, at our very worst, he loved us the most. While we were the farthest away from him is when he reached out the farthest for us. And if I remember that, that the love of Christ that was demonstrated for me, then what does that cause me maybe to be willing to do? Is to reach out even to my enemy, to the one that is farthest from me, to show grace and love. We were once loved enemies, just like our enemies are in need of love, grace, and mercy. The third thing is this, and I mentioned this earlier, but is the way that we can show love is to remember that you have been blessed and forgiven and we are to be a blessing to others. God didn't show his grace and mercy to you or I because we deserved it. If that was the correct case, it wouldn't be grace and mercy. If it's something I deserved, it's, it's not grace because grace is when I get something I don't deserve and if it's withholding something, that's what mercy is. It's withholding something that I do deserve, punishment. So God, not by any means of my own, did I receive God's grace and mercy. And so I was blessed completely by God, which helps me to understand that I need to do the same thing. Your enemy isn't just a trial God put in your life to stretch you or to make you stronger or to grow your faith. Your enemy is someone that God has placed in your life to allow you to demonstrate to them what it means to experience grace, love, and mercy, even though it probably will never be deserved or earned. And that's hard. I, I can't get there without remembering the first two things. I can't get to showing undeserved grace and mercy and love to my enemy if I don't remember that they are a human as like me, like me 
an image bearer of God, and that I once was the recipient of undeserved grace and mercy, and then I can begin to pour it out. And so that's how we love. And then it says, pray for those who persecute you. How do, how do we do this? Like, even if I can muster up enough courage to, like, love somebody internally and externally, how do I pray for those that are constantly a persecution in my life? And I think there's just a few things that Scripture teaches us that we should do. One is this. Pray for truth to be elevated. Don't pray for somebody to be right and somebody to be wrong. Don't pray for, this, for you to win and them to lose. Pray that truth would be elevated. Pray that we would, both sides of the conflict, would be able to understand where truth comes from. Instead of praying for your way to be elevated and your side to win, pray for truth to be known. And in the midst of truth is when conflict begins to be resolved. Second is this, pray for blessings to be experienced on both sides. Because as we begin to seek truth, that's when blessings come in our life. When, when, when truth is embraced, blessings follow. Pray for those involved in the conflict. We start to see that the goal is not to win, not to destroy someone else, not to prove a point, not to get to the point where I can say, I told you so. Instead, the goal is to get to the other side of the conflict where each party will be more blessed than when it began. Not a, it's not a win-lose. Doing, loving your enemies can create a win-win situation. And then finally, pray for reconciliation to be expressed and experienced. That the reconciliation with others and with God is not winning and losing. There's a key word, and that's peace. Our goal is peace. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to pursue peace, to be people of peace, to live in peace. That as we go, peace follows. Now, this drives me to my last question that I would have is like, Why? God, why do you want me to do this? This is not natural. It's not normal. Nobody else does this. Why don't you just love my enemies? You reconcile them and then you fix them and like bring them back to me. Like that would be the easiest, okay? You just take care of my problem and bring it back to me. Jesus, you handle it, you know, but I don't want to do it. And here's the deal. The truth is Jesus isn't giving you this command for the benefit of your enemies. He's giving you this command for your own benefit. You may go, no, he's not. Yes, he is. Because when I allow things like pride, anger, hate, and intolerance to invade my life, it will destroy me. It will destroy me. Well, that we would love our enemies and that we would have an impact on them. We, we want to see not just their lives change, but our lives change. When I allow pride, anger, hate, and intolerance to be what control my thoughts, my mind, here's what happens. I start to have an improper motive in decision-making, right? I start to make bad decisions. I start doing things that I would never do before because I've lost perspective. I start saying things and treating people a certain way. I start heading down paths that I never thought I would because I'm letting this anger, pride, tolerance, and hate drive me that way. I start to lose self-control. I start to give up my control to other people. I let those that I'm most bitter and angry at consume my thoughts and my actions, and I am no longer controlling myself, but they are controlling me. When I let these things rule in my life, I lose self-control. I lose personal peace. 
I can't sleep at night. I can't think straight. It just, my life seems upside down because I can't live at peace. I lose my understanding of who God is. If I can't understand why I should forgive somebody, maybe I've forgotten why God should forgive me and I forget the grace and peace of God. And I lose the healing power of reconciliation. That I forget that being reconciled to God is the thing that has brought me the most healing and hope in my life. So my question for the day is this. What is keeping you from loving your enemies? I would say it would probably boil down to one of those four things. Pride, anger, hate, intolerance. Pride, anger, hate, intolerance. So when you, you'd say pride, you'd say, you know, I don't, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me. That's when pride flares up. Or anger, you say, somebody has to pay for this. Somebody is responsible and has to pay. Or hate, they don't deserve to be loved. They don't deserve to be prayed for. Or intolerance, they are just too different. I can't love them, they are too different than me. And you know what these four things do? They literally create a prison cell. Not for your enemy, but for you. We trap ourselves in these walls of pride, anger, hate, intolerance. We fight, scream, we demand justice, and we build the walls higher. And we wait for escape. We wait for a way out. We wait for our life to get back to the way it was. And Jesus has literally given you the keys to your cell. Is to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That is freeing. There is freedom in loving your enemy for you. I I don't know how your enemy is going to respond to it. I have no clue. They could laugh at you. Maybe they would want to get to know. I don't know what they would do. They can respond in a thousand different ways. This is not for them. These are the keys for your prison to set you free. It says it is for freedom that we have been made free. It is for freedom that God set us free. That's why he's given us the keys to this prison that we built ourselves. And so my question today is not just what is keeping you from loving your enemy, what is keeping you in your prison of hate, anger, and pride, and intolerance? Today, would you take those keys of loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you, set yourself free? Let's pray together.